Welcome to Heavy Wireless. My name is Keith Parsons, and on today's episode, we have David Coleman, the famous David Coleman, who's uh, everyone in the industry knows because he wrote the CWNA study guide as well as a bunch of other study guides. But we have him today to talk to us about Wi-Fi 7. David, how are you today? Uh, I'm great, Keith. Thanks for having me today. I thought since uh, you gave such a great presentation at WLPC on the, the future of Wi-Fi, specifically about Wi-Fi 7, we'd have you on the podcast epi- on this episode to you know, just talk back and forth about your view of the future of Wi-Fi. We could even do a little history of, you know, kind of, we've both been around for decades in this industry, where it was, where it is today, where we think it's going in the future, um, but specifically talk about some of the technologies in Wi-Fi 7. Uh, let's do it. You know, I mean, you know, it's, you won't have to twist my arm to talk about Wi-Fi. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, by the way, just had, you know, what is your CWNE number? I am uh, CWNE, I think I'm number four, right? You're number three, correct? I'm number three. I just, just had to bring that out. Just, to, you know, no, but you've, you're, you're way more famous than I am in here because you, because you. Well, I, is infamous is probably a better word, but oh. we've, but we've both been doing this a long time, Keith. So. A long time. Um, so at, at the conference, you talked about Wi-Fi 7. You want to just give us a quick overview of the, the parts that are coming, the new things, the technologies in Wi-Fi 7? Sure. Real quick, I mean, Wi-Fi 7 is the next uh, official generation of Wi-Fi. It's kind of a, a marketing name. Uh, eventually, the Wi-Fi Alliance will probably have a certification called Wi-Fi 7. They've announced their intent for it, but there is no official certification yet. It's based on a draft amendment from the IEEE 802.11be for extremely high throughput. To me, and we can talk more about this, it's it's building on uh, what came with Wi-Fi 6E, and that's the 6 gigahertz spectrum. Uh, there would be no Wi-Fi 7 without the 6 gigahertz spectrum. But, um, and there's an assortment of new features um, that we can certainly talk about individually, but some are better than others, but there'll be 320 megahertz channels, uh, 4K QAM modulation, um, probably the one that gets the most press and it has a lot of potential as a new feature altogether is multi-link operation. Uh, there's something called multi-RUs and there's also puncturing. And there's a few other things as well, but uh, uh, those are the, in a nutshell, those are the, you know, the top five. And so of, of those, which do you think is going to have the most effect on, on people moving to Wi-Fi 7? Well, it depends on whether you're talking about consumer grade or enterprise. I mean, the, uh, so let's let's I mean, answer them both. What do you let's okay. do, do consumer first, and then we can talk about enterprise. All right. So the hype you're going to hear is consumer grade because uh, consumer grade equipment always comes out first, and you're going to start seeing uh, Wi-Fi seven like uh, gear uh, start uh, debuting in the consumer products um, any day now. Um, Actually, I've I've it, seen some announcements already. Yeah, there's been some announcements. You'll probably be able to walk to the store and buy some maybe as like early as May, right? Um, uh, Consumer grade uh, stuff uh, and maybe even a smartphone or two um, real soon. How many features they support will remain to be seen. And I want to emphasize there is no certification yet for interoperability. So it's done for a lot of marketing and bragging rights initially. Um, But that being said, the ones that you're going to be hearing a lot about on the consumer side will be the 320 megahertz channels. 
which uses incredible amount of, of spectrum bandwidth, but um, you know it really isn't usable in the enterprise. You, you can't do a uh, channel reuse pattern, but it'll get a lot of hype because it's, then, then you start talking about you know, these ridiculous speeds and it'll probably be the default setting on the consumer grade router, Wi-Fi routers, right? And the other one will be another thing that's supposed to increase performance quite a, uh, a bit as well is the 4K QAM. Uh, you'll see that that hyped a lot a bit a, a lot on the consumer grade stuff. Um, to me, those will be the two features that get the most hype on the consumer grades uh, side initially. And just those two added specifically are two that won't show up in enterprise at all. I mean, we we can't. No, 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 no. I, I won't say that. They probably will show up in enterprise. Well, we just won't use. Yeah, that, they, that, they'll be supported. That, we certainly. I mean, we're not going to use 320 megahertz channels in the enterprise. And, um, and you'd be lucky to get 4K qualm. If you're going, it would have to be in probably six gigahertz in a pristine RF environment, like within, you know, um, the AP right above you, right? So. But it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it, and it'll, I'm sure it'll work, but it's not something we're probably going to design to. Let me put it that way. So. Yeah. Like we designed to three 160s now anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So um, not going to happen. So what are the features for enterprise you think that people get excited about? Uh, there's a couple, probably uh, the three are multi-link operation, uh, the multi-RU and the puncturing. Um, the multi-link operation is the one that uh, in the enterprise side, I think that you'll hear the most hype about. Um, there's different kinds of multi-link operation. And by, when I say multi-link operation, think about this. Uh, think about... Um, I think multiple channels on multiple bands, uh, simultaneous uh, communications uh, between a client and a uh, access point. And, uh, but there's going to be different kinds of multi-link operation. There's one that's gonna be an aggregate method that the goal is higher throughput. There's another one that's going to be a steering method where the goal is the lower latency. And a third, um, which is, um, uh, or uh, maybe even a link redundancy, uh, duplicate data on two different uh, channels on two different bands to increase reliability. Um, RAID I will for say Wi-Fi. This. Say that again for RAID, Wi-Fi. RAID yeah. for Wi-Fi. Exactly, RAID for Wi-Fi. But uh, but to be honest with you, that that one is probably the furthest one out. Um, the one that I think we'll see at least initially. Um, well, let me talk about the one that's going to get the most hype first um, for multi-link operation. And that's going to be called STR, Simultaneous Transmit and Receive uh, Multi-Link Multiple Radio. Um, so think about having a 40 megahertz channel on 5 gigahertz and an 80 megahertz channel on 6 gigahertz and uh, transmitting them aggregate uh, data, uh, a certain amount of data on the 6 gigahertz link and a certain amount of data on the 5 gigahertz link at the same time. Now the goal there is increased throughput, and um, and it sounds great, right? But the problem is, let me ask you this: which band, if we said six and five, and we had an aggregated link, which th band do you think is going to be the least busy? Oh, six gig. Yeah, for a six while. gig. Yeah, well, for a while, and five gig could be potentially very busy. All right, now. Uh, what what is something that we use uh, uh, to access a medium? We use medium contention, right? So if you're going to have some sort of synchronized method for an aggregated link on two channels on two different bands, and one band is very busy and the other one's not, I mean, you start dealing with wait time, right? 
And there's already been data and research that shows that the actual wait time because of medium contention, where one channel is waiting on the other to get within that kind of window for ag- that is necessary for aggregation, that wait time will actually be uh, bring down throughput. Um, so it, the wait time in itself would be detrimental. So um, I do not anticipate that, be, even though it's going to get hyped a lot and you see, you're going to see some cool demos, especially from the client side, I don't expect that at least initially to be a, a thing that's going to be used a lot. Where that does have some value is um, there could be what are called um, MLO meshes, multi-link operation meshes. So think AP to AP. And you could even aggregate maybe two channels in the same band, like a lower five and an upper five, or a, a, a channel on two different channels and six, and aggregate those together for um, MLO mesh. And um, so, and and as maybe if you had dedicated channels that weren't being contending for the medium along with clients, you're just using it for the mesh. I could see where that might have some value, uh, especially in the you know, Soho environment. Where you're just trying to get your your mesh in your building or inside your house, uh, and you're using six gig for that, but the access is on five. Or that's one of the things a lot of the the lower end uh, consumer grade things are talking about. Yeah, absolutely, and, and there's and there's certainly uh, consumer grade uh, implications uh, for uh, with MLO as well that you just mentioned. Now, the feature though for MLO that I think will uh, work initially and will probably have the most advantage um, at least to begin with and you know over time some of these technologies will mature is the one called um, enhanced multi-link um, uh, single radio EMLSR uh, channel access oh, so another acronym so this is the steering uh, version of MLO so think of um and I'm talking about this from the client side now so most clients are two by two by two. So what if the client could listen to a five gigahertz with a one by one uh, radio chain and the six gigahertz channel with the other one by one radio chains listening to them at the same time and whichever one is the cleanest or whichever one becomes available first, transmit with the two by two on that channel uh, and switching back and forth. And uh, the advantage of, of that there is you're going to take advantage of the medium that's available first and also the cleanest medium. And um, you'll be going back and forth potentially on a packet per packet basis. Uh, this in itself could enhance and increase throughput a little bit. But I think the bigger um, result of this that you're going to hear a lot about will be the latency enhancements because of that. And and, and getting the latency numbers down lower especially um, as we're moving forward uh, with more latency intensive applications uh, in the enterprise. And I'm not just talking about video. We can have a long discussion about AR and VR and the importance of latency for those applications moving forward. So you mentioned latency on that. Is this a a way to get a a little bit away from our CSMACA problem that we have to contend for the time Basically, you have two contention fields you're looking at. You take the, whichever one's open. You could put it that way. Absolutely. To me, that's one of the advantages of it, right? It's like um, which channel is available first. Um, um, but, I mean, there could be other metrics involved, too. It could be, you know, the quality of the channel, too, right? So Yeah. It, it sounds like um, that's a lot of heavy lifting on the client side. And, and we've seen clients don't always move as quickly as we'd like. 
Yeah, but I mean, I can tell you right now that, that this will be the first MLO feature that will be, requ- I, I think, will be required um, for support and um, also will actually be, um, you know, in the SDKs and in the drivers, um, at least initially. Um, to, so I'm confident on the client side, this is the first type of MLO that we'll actually see supported. Now, we all know, um, you know, so I'm also, I'm supposed to be an evangelist for the technology, right? But we also know there's a real world, right? So we always, we, as I mentioned earlier, it does take time for these technologies to mature. So, and I, and I, you've heard me say this before, Keith, publicly, I never believe anything until it's field tested. So I'm encouraged about um, the EMLSR, um, but, and I you know, we're you know, there's already work being done in labs, but uh, until it actually starts getting field tested, you know, you always see a new thing. You might see something completely different. Well, that leads to my next question, and you can you can talk about puncturing because that's coming yeah. up, but um, and it kind of ties into BSS coloring. And my question is: ha- Have have you seen BSS coloring actually work in the real world? And and if not, why? And then how is that going to affect? your anticipation of how puncturing would be working? Um, well, BSS coloring was like one of the, well, a couple of problems with that. Number one, it was kind of a sort of a, only some components of it were like required for support. You and just defined 8.11. Yeah, I, right, which has always been a problem. And there hasn't been a lot of support on the client side um, for BSS coloring. The short answer is no. In the real world, I have not seen any advantage at all for BSS coloring. In theory, it sounds wonderful. Um, you know, it's it's all about uh, uh, cutting down on uh, coach in, uh, co-channel inf- interference and by assigning different colors uh, to different basic service sets on the same channels and maybe allowing them to kind of coexist and by adjusting thresh- thresholds. But it just you know, it's another thing that's been proven. Yeah, it can kind of work in a lab with a couple of APs and a couple of clients. But, you know, in the real world, it's another one of those things that just hasn't panned out. Um, so, Well, what we did have to- in Prague last year, if you remember, someone presented and showed, it took, you know, 25 minutes talking about how they set up their lab, how all yeah. the clients were just perfectly right. And when they were done, they went... And we got a five percent improvement with BSS yeah, coloring. I thought it was ten percent. I was trying to be a little bit more generous. Yeah, but, um, it, it, it was ten when they tweaked everything, and it was five when they just let it kind of run. And 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 and, and they openly admitted that it was under controlled conditions. So it's like, I mean, I remember somebody asked at a, at a, a different conference uh, uh, asked a, a bunch of chipset vendors. Um, is BSS coloring going to work, you know, or is it going to be the multi-user MIMO of 802.11ax? And the the chipset vendors kind of had to admit, well, yeah, it works in theory, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, and by the way, multi-user MIMO works, but once again, under controlled conditions. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some demos where they had to move the clients, you know, six inches to the left. Oh, okay, now it works. Right. I mean, in multi-user MIMO, I mean, it, I, in the real world, it works uh, for point-to-multipoint bridging, you know, um, but uh, so um, so some vendors that specialize in that, it works because they're stationary and they're they're far apart. But with clients, <clears throat> once again, you said control conditions. So uh, so I, I think you part of your original question, was, you want to know- How does that lead into puncturing? 
So puncturing was another thing that was kind of optional with Wi-Fi 6, but is um, I think uh, will find its way of being maybe a requirement and actually implemented in Wi-Fi 7. So think if um, uh, you had a, a big uh, channel, let's say an 80 megahertz channel, and there was some sort of interference, um, what if you could just puncture like a 20 megahertz hole in that 80 megahertz channel as opposed and um, still use you know, 60 megahertz of that channel and then just not transmit on that puncture, uh, punctured space. And um, and the goal is, is that you wouldn't have to, you know, take out the whole big channel, right? Um, uh, due to some sort of RF interference. Um, that sounded great. And it also sounded as uh, the original goal of puncturing, it was to another way of dealing with uh, um, OBSS interference and co-channel interference. But I think where puncturing has a lot of promise with Wi-Fi 7 is outdoor or, or even indoor standard power and AFC. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about AFC and standard power and uh, being able to deal with the incumbents um, moving forward, which, we, by the way, we can't do any of that yet, right? I mean, we've been talking about it for two years now, but we're still waiting on the regulatory bodies to put their final stamp of approval. Um, that might be with another way of like, well, maybe there's some sort of uh, incumbent uh, outdoors that we're not allowed, instead of a taking out a whole 80 megahertz channels outdoor, maybe we just puncture a hole in that 80 megahertz channel, protect the incumbent, okay, but still be able to use that other 60 megahertz of space. So that's kind of the vision. Looking at a six gig channel chart, the channels that are available for indoor low power and then mm -hmm. you look at standard power, there's some get taken out because part of that yes. wider channel is in that other zone. So That's you're correct. saying you could you could still use that channel. I think you'd have to have some regulatory answers to that saying, you know, why not just use the 40 that's in the LPI rather than an 80 well, where you're blocking yeah. it? Well, I mean, we I mean, could go down a long discussion about regulatory and I far be it for me to, to project what, I mean, because it, that gets dicey whenever you start talking about well, regulatory. And how, it's different how long did it in take for us to get well. DFS back from the the weather? Oh, you remember channels. that? That yeah, was like a three-year, yeah. two-and-a-half-year thing. Yeah, so um, so, it, so if if puncturing works and we can prove it works, it still has to go through regulatory to say, we'll let you. And then there has to be an FCC test that says, you have so puncturing you, you, on and... And you, you make a really it. good point. You make a really good point. Um, so I, th I think there's potential. Um, I guess, let me re-answer your question two ways. I think there's potential for puncturing to be used as a, an added benefit uh, for with AFC, but you bring up a very good point. Until we get all these regulations in place and... <laughs> Um, um, I mean, who knows? We may have to uh, ask for, uh, there may have to be additional testing just for the puncturing side of things. I will say this, it, it, it's looking more and more and more like that, you know, all the AFC stuff and the outdoor and the standard power, it's it's looking more and more like it's going to be a Wi-Fi 7 play. Not that the Wi-Fi 6E stuff won't work for it, but, you know, it keeps getting pushed back, right? Um, it's still not in place yet here in the United States, probably will be this year, but you know, we said that last year too, right? And and um, so we're still waiting. You know. So any other Wi-Fi seven things we technologies we should be looking at? Uh, well, a related uh, a feature is uh, multi-link. Um, or excuse me, I should say uh, multi-RU. 
uh, where um, and there's two different kinds, small and large. The large is um, uh, kind of a uh, using multiple resource units in OFDMA, um, and that that could be used in conjunction with puncturing. The small version of multi-RU is to be a more efficient use of OFDMA. Um, in some cases, you have, like, say, a, a big a 40 megahertz channel, and you're not using all the resource units. Um, so maybe there's a way of uh, uh, putting a couple of these together in a contiguous fashion to make it a little bit more efficient. So there's a little bit of hope in that. You know, OFDMA, it's like one of these things that uh, is starting, I think it will thrive better in six gigahertz, starting to. Does it work in the other bands? Kind of, sort of, but um, with the advantage of six gigahertz is you don't have all the backward compatibility stuff, right? Well, you so, still have more uh, than I would have liked. Um, yeah, but well, yeah, but I mean, you don't, there are a few, but at the end of the day, you don't have to deal with a lot of the protection mechanisms, for example. Um, and uh, so think of the multi RU as a way of kind of making OFDMA a little bit more efficient. Well, um, that's, a, I think that's a nice segue and transition to the next area I'd like to talk about is mm -hmm. um, looking back historically, we, we started with uh, 8011 Prime and yeah, we were around back then. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then A, B, G, N, and we're, we've moved our way through. In fact, we've, we've now changed the names to Wi-Fi 4 in the Wi-Fi 5. I, I never could figure out why they didn't just, if they're making up names at the Wi-Fi Alliance, they could have just made them up and, and started at Wi-Fi 0. But... Uh. Well, yeah, I guess you could have. I and Wi-Fi 3. I, mean, I mean, it's marketing, right? So, um, but it, it's actually worked, the new naming convention, because it's not geared toward geeks like you and me. It's geared towards the public, right? So, and and uh, yeah, I, th I think they kind of messed up a little bit. This is just personal opinion. They should have started and called it Wi-Fi 5. And that relates to what? 5G. The so okay. that when oh, Wi-Fi right. when six gig came out, they could have made this big push to oh, it's now right. Wi-Fi six and six matches yeah. six gig. So the six I mean, was a little I mean, awkward. It, it, there is confusion. I'll say you know I'll be honest. To me, the bigger confusion is the whole six and six e. Yeah. Um, uh, because six refers to eight to eleven x and six e, which isn't really a certification. It's just an extension of the in six gig uh, in six gigahertz, right? And so it gets confusing, and that even moves into the conversation of Wi-Fi 7, right? Because Wi-Fi 7, really, to take full advantage of all the features we just talked about, you need 6 gigahertz. So one of the things I'm saying all the time is like, you know, when you're talking about this, don't necessarily talk about 6E and 7. Focus on 6 gigahertz. Because for all these features whether uh, that are coming with Wi-Fi 7 and what we have available now with 6E, it's the, the true... The true value where we're going to see a lot of benefit and a lot of innovation in the next 10 years is the fact that we have this new hunk of spectrum of 1,200 megahertz of, on 6 gigahertz. It's it's almost magical just to even think about it. I mean, if yeah, you we're go, just if, getting started. Yeah, if so. you just go back to in our careers when we started, we had 80 megahertz and we were thrilled. The amount of things <laughs> we could do with 80 megahertz. And then we got, then we got uh, out to 180 megahertz wide when we added the 5 gig channels what more right. was there? Uh, and then we picked up some extra DFS channels, and that was a huge boon. And it just it keeps getting better in our lives. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, and it just goes to show that historically um, uh, opening up more um, 
unlicensed spectrum for the use for Wi-Fi. It's it's been proven time and time again. Not only it'll be good for innovation, but it'll also be good for um, uh, economics, right? And for uh, gener- um, uh, I mean, generating revenue in, in our uh, global economy. So yeah, it's it's actually they. I, I don't know how much I believe in total the exact numbers, but it's Wi-Fi has changed the actual gross national product for countries. So, oh, there's no question. Yeah. So, um, so, and th- that was the main driver, by the way, of the FCC um, opening up the six gigahertz space was going to be the economic benefit. Well, I could see that's that's a tough call for a political organization, an actual government, because selling it gives you revenue today. Right. And so they right. could have they could have auctioned off that 1200 megahertz for a boatload of money. Instead, they said no. But in the in the long term, it's better for the entire society. So we'll go unlicensed, which is which is I good think, for us. I think they made the good right call at this time. Not everybody wanted them to do that. <laughs> and I that might be why some of the other countries are a little slower, because <laughs> that's yes. But now the, the it's snowballed. Most it, countries it has, are now. We'll continue. We're not done. I, I will say use this as an opportunity that you just mentioned the other countries. Um, other people have spoken about this, not just me, me. We need the other countries to open up more space as well. Like Europe, for example, only has Uni 5 available, um, like 480 megahertz to 6 gigahertz space. We um, we need Europe to eventually adopt all 1,200 megahertz in other parts of the world as well. So, I mean, China has nothing available for Wi-Fi for 6 gigahertz. Um, if that doesn't happen... Um, uh, what we need is a lot of people refer to as spectrum harmonization, right? And if that doesn't happen, you start having a digital divide between the countries. Not not going to be a good thing. But as you put it, it is snowballing. But whenever you start dealing with regulatory and government and politics, things move a little bit slower. They do have their own speed. The the downside if, of non-harmonization is things like PSCs in 6 gig, where when you have 1200 megahertz, the PSC, the preferred scanning channels, are sitting at good places where we could use that as our, our finding method to find a channel. When you're in Europe and you don't have the, that space, you're going to have to use non-PSE channels, which means uh, that changes a, a, lot of, a, a lot of things that change because of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and so the whole, we're, one thing I'd like to say, with Wi-Fi 6E, 6 gigahertz, and 7 this is going to be a slow rolling thunder of learning, okay? Um, uh, 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 especially when it comes to our client in the real world. And you just mentioned one, the, the PSC, because that has uh, implications of AP discovery and how roaming works, right? And um, so, and that's when you start talking to a bunch of Wi-Fi geeks, uh, the whole method of AP discovery in roaming it's completely changed um, with six gigahertz than what it was with 2.4 and 5. And uh, so there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to continue to learn. I think, especially on roaming, K and V are going to be very important in addition to the PSE channels that we're talking about and the out-of-band discovery mechanisms. And how, and, many, how uh, many years did it take to get K and V even 
even some oh, very big clients to say, yeah, we'll approve it. Or we'll approve it yeah. on some of our devices, but not others. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's pretty, most clients support it now, at least in the smartphones, right? But um, but, but yeah, you're but right. Was, I mean, there was KB years. were ratified back, back like 2010 or something like that. I don't know the exact date, but then it took like another five years before you actually started seeing it be put into the silicon and the drivers, right? So That's, that's one nice thing. And I, I don't know if all our listeners understand, but the letter... And the 802.11 numbers are, come out sequentially. So 802.11K came out before N. <laughs> so yeah. it's been around a long, long time. Uh, it's been a long time. So, yeah. Uh, how about the B, the new BN? I'm like, really? You're going to call something BN? It's, BN. It's, the, it's, the, it's the next in space, 802.11As. Then we went through all of the A's and AA, AB, AC. We're up to B, BE, and there's now up to a BN. But when you read that, it looks like 8811 B and N. Right, like yeah, you know, like uh, like BGN, right? Yes, like, so, uh, like yeah. oh no, it's a, it's uh, a confusing. Yeah. We're our own worst enemy when it comes to nomenclature and and also marketing names. Sometimes uh, we create our own problems. Um, um, and confusion, I'm afraid. Well, the last topic I wanted to cover with you is, and it's okay if I pause because we can edit out a pause. Yeah. What it, the thing I'd like to talk about is the complexity of our solutions are just getting increasingly exponentially more complex. If we look back historically, every you know between. 811G and 811N, we had six years to adapt. To, to adapt. So we had six years of ABG. And then we went to N, and we had another four years before we, we sped up to go to Wi-Fi 5 or AC. The, the time difference between 6E and 7 is only a couple of years. That's just, that's just a speed chart. We can also mm-hmm. look at the changes in MCS over the last 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. it, 807 Prime had one and two meg. That's it. <laughs> you know, and, and now we have in Wi-Fi 7, if you look at the MCS table, well over 4,000 possible places to go. So when a client and an AP are talking, they're going to negotiate some MCS, some combination of, of what's the modulation, what's the coding scheme, what's the channel width, the guard interval, all those things. There's so many of those now are are you seeing clients that that can't handle that complexity? And, and this is just the MCS. If you add to that table, we have more qualm, you know, the modulation changes, but we also uh-huh. have all these new feature sets like you, you alluded to MU MIMO. Well, what about uplink MIMO? Right. That's a whole right. other feature that a client has to Optional do. Optional feature. You're on right, I'll, on top I'll of add. all the other things they're supposed to know how to yes. do. And do it dynamically, and then you add puncturing to say, oh, yeah, and I'm just not going to use this 120 megahertz channel right, while right, I right. transmit. Do, um, you, so do you see clients lies, dealing um, with that? So you, um, d- d- clients, um, at the end of the day, clients are never going to s- support as many features as, say, an AP radio, right? Um, because an AP radio typically has more processing uh, available to it. Um, and then... I mean, I think we alluded to this earlier. We get into this whole game where um, of interoperability of like what is required to be supported and what is optional. And 
I think one of the problems we've had as an industry is we have way too much optional out there. Okay. And if it's optional, um, you know what that what does that usually mean? You tell me, Keith, when it's optional, what does that usually mean on the client side? <laughs> that means I don't have to do it. Yeah, it's not supported. It's rarely supported um, on the client side. So, um, so, and and that makes it tough for vendors like uh, the company I work for, Extreme Networks, is trying to figure out. In some cases, do we have to support this optional feature, knowing full well that clients may never even support it, right? Um, and so it gets it gets kind of crazy. So, um, you know, I think. You know, we could have a whole separate discussion just on this topic. Um, I, in my mind, there needs to be a bigger drive uh, for interoperability of clients, and and what exactly is should is supported. Um, but the short answer to your question is no. I mean, clients aren't going to support every bell and whistle. We all know that. APs don't either, for that sake. Um, um, and things become more complex. And Wi-Fi, and I've said this, and I've heard you say this as well before, Wi-Fi continues to get better and better and better, but it continues to get more complex and more complex, okay? So the the, the upside to that is that the complexity actually, if done right, makes the Wi-Fi better. The downside is you better know what you're doing, right? Um, from, both from an administrative standpoint and also from what you actually, actually build. So Another upside would be that it means that there's always going to be work for wireless land professionals, you know? Um, know. AI is going to take over. Well, I mean, AI will assist us, you know? Um, it's, you know... Well, you, you, it, you also mentioned earlier about it's, it's additional learning opportunity for all of us. So yes. I'd, I'd like to end our discussion today um, mm-hmm. tying back to your, your book. Your book has been the standard, the CWNA study guide, over what 18 years now it's been uh yes it's approaching yeah it's like 18 years now that yeah. the book that uh the cybex publishing cwna study guide that david westcott and i write so. it's it's fantastic recommend it to everyone it's it's kind of like the bible as the the last issue was what 1020 1050 pages i mean it, it's it's like 1086 pages <laughs> and it only goes up through wi-fi 6 does it even have much 6e in it it does have some 6E, but it's it needs to be it's, updated. It's it kind 6E of early 6E. Yes. So just as a final question, what do you think the next iteration is going to be when you add Wi-Fi 7? Just in page. Well, that's, uh, that's a good question. So because that also involves a, uh, a, a interesting discussion with my publisher. <laughs> because as we add more pages, the cost of producing the book actually goes up. So... Um, do we raise the price of the book? And so um, we're actually debating right now when we're actually going to write the next edition. If we left it alone and just added Wi-Fi seven, I would uh, in more sixty. I would. Uh, my guess is it would add another hundred pages. That being said, I, we're trying to figure out a way to figure out what is some stuff that we could actually remove, you know, which we try to keep a lot of stuff in there historically, but believe it or not, Keith, over the years, we actually have removed some stuff, but it still keeps growing. So it's like yeah, a beast that'll never stop. So, so you, did you remove the pine needles reference? Uh, the pine needles. I think that is gone. Oh, that good. Is correct. Okay. Yes. I think that is gone. That was a time that, that's an inside joke, by the way. Yeah. So. We, we have way too much history. 
Well, yes. David, thank you for your time today. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed hearing about Wi-Fi 7 and some of the technologies. Uh, we'll link in the show notes to a couple of presentations you've done on Wi-Fi 7. And how would anybody track you down if they wanted to find you online? Uh, you can just search for me, um, uh, David Coleman Extreme Networks on LinkedIn. Uh, that's honestly where most people reach out to me. Or on Twitter, at my Twitter, at, at Mr. Multipath, M-I-S-T-E-R-M-U-L-T-I-P-A-T-H. So another geeky Twitter handle. So and, and, and it makes sense. Well, thanks again for your time, David. Thanks very much, Keith. Thanks for having me.